Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we are joined by Reverend Brad Kenny, founder and executive director of Soccer Chaplains United and the lead chaplain for the Colorado Rapids, a major league soccer club in the U.S. He is ordained in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and the Denver Seminary. Today, he tells us about the unexpected story of how he got started in sports chaplaincy, and he shares his expertise from his many years on the soccer sideline. Brad is a great communicator with a podcast of his own, so we're excited to talk to him today. Let's get started. We're so excited to have Brad Kenny with us today. Hey, Brad, as we start, can you give us a little bit of your background with sport? Yeah, you know, I wasn't a super athlete. I uh, I didn't play soccer at a high level. I think a lot of people think, oh, you, you chaplain a pro team. You must have played. I didn't. Um, I played basketball and soccer throughout high school, but I didn't really hit my athletic stride until college. And my only claim to fame is that uh, one day in the gym at Moody Bible Institute, where I did my undergrad, I went up against William Gates of Hoop Dreams, if you know the documentary. Yes. We played uh, three games to 21, and my best game against him, I scored 11, and then he just drained threes and, and put me away. So, um <laughs> Uh, nowadays, I uh, I avoid most uh, things that could break an ankle or a, a knee, uh, but I do enjoy disc golf. I'm very competitive. Got a group of guys that I play with, and uh, we we collect some good ribbing with each other. And uh, that's probably my most competitive endeavor nowadays. Well, that's a little bit easier on the lower body joints, isn't it? Than, than it, it is. It is. <laughs> and uh, I've I've seen some 90 year olds out still playing. So I figure this is the sport for the future. Fantastic. It's the, the new golf. Hey, will you, will you tell us a little bit about uh, faith in your life? Yeah, well, my dad was a motorcycle gang member in Denver, part of the Satan Saints. So I don't know if that foreshadowed anything in my journey, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he came to Jesus uh, when I was young. And uh, so I've kind of grew up in the church uh, ever since. But uh, I, it wasn't until I was at this youth congress in Florida and uh, I don't remember the speaker, but he said, until you give the the little things to God, how can he do big things in your life? And uh, my dream was to go to West Point Military Academy, be an officer. And uh, God radically changed that dream. It shifted. I ended up at Moody Bible Institute. I, I also told my mom, who said since I was five, you're going to be a preacher. I said, no way, mom. I don't want to be a preacher. And uh, But I ended up on this path. I went to Moody as a comms major because I didn't want to be a pastor. But it was funny, all the all the communication students go through a pre-pastoral track at Moody. I didn't know that. So, uh, But that's me. I'm a chaplain now today. So God has uh, funny ways of, of getting you where, where he wants you. And, and to be honest, I wouldn't change a thing. Well, Brad, thanks so much. You've already given us enough to kind of take off and run. Uh, I, I really want to follow up on the William Gates thing. That's that's too much fun. I, I wonder if it was pre-knee uh, injury or post-knee injury that you uh, met him on the floor. Yeah, it was it was post-injury. Yeah, okay. it was uh, it was probably a couple years after the – I forget, the documentary came out maybe 
95, 96. Um, and I was playing him, I think 96, 97. Uh, but I'll tell you, he could move, he moved. Uh, I couldn't. And, uh, he, ju- he didn't dunk on me, but you know, 21, you don't usually shame someone that bad. In fact, because I was thinking about this, I, I recently reached out to him on Facebook and befriended him. And I said, you won't remember me. He absolutely schooled me in basketball, but, um, and he, he fronted me. So that's, that's been a great little outcome oh, of a, this. What a really cool story to share. And, you know, he was compared to Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas in his early days. And so, I mean, he had all the moves and too bad that, that knee injury kind of, uh, really turned his, his life around in a very different direction. Uh, so, You've given us the uh, Satan's Saints. I don't know if there's anything um, more provocative than that, but uh, give us uh, something about your life maybe that people wouldn't know or wouldn't normally ask. Um, you know, when I was in Chicago, I actually uh, was an extra for several film and TV shows. Uh, so I enjoy always telling my kids about my brief acting career. Uh, that's one thing. Um I went to Moody to be the next Rush Limbaugh, and I know he's just recently passed away. So um, there's some significance maybe in a, in a little bit of that story. And uh, I have four daughters, uh, so it behooves me to do really well at my job working with uh, now what I call younger men that are becoming more and more my daughter's ages. So um, yeah, I I remember walking in one time to the club and one of the players I had just had uh, twin girls born and he goes, you got your girls, we're your boys. So, uh, so in some ways they, they are my boys. Oh, that's a nice parallel to just, uh, to leave work, go home and uh, get schooled again. I would imagine by, uh, your young ladies. Uh, so you've taken uh, a number of different paths. You could have been an actor, you could have been uh, a broadcaster, all these different opportunities could have been a pastor. Uh, but you decided to stick your nose into sport chaplaincy. Um, tell us how that uh, came about. I think you have some sort of interesting uh, anecdotes about how that uh, materialized. Yeah, I I tell people that I have a St. Martin moment. St. <clears throat> Martin's where the history and origination, the etymology of chaplaincy comes but I was walking out on the field one day with a player. I was a PR guy for a team and, um, we're walking on the field. He asked me just one of those life questions. And, um, in that moment, it's like the clouds parted and, and, uh, I just, you know, I shared with him, I said, my faith tells me, I don't, I don't have to have fear about these things. And got back to the hotel room that night. And I just, that there was something going on inside me. I didn't know what it was. And I just said, Lord, give me more of those moments. Um, and that that took me on a journey of of starting seminary. Uh, my first day of seminary was nine eleven, if you'd believe that. Mm-hmm. And um, I I just was thinking, God, what what do you have for me in this? And I I went to seminary to be a worship leader. Actually, uh, I had done some of that in my time in Chicago. And um, but then this guy was running through the hallways at seminary with team gear on, and I was like, Hey, where'd you get all that? And he goes, Oh, I I helped a chaplain out. And I was like, Chaplain for the, for the team, for the rapids, um, it blew me away and I had never thought of it. I I think I'd probably known about chaplaincy at some point, but that next week I went into the uh, administration at the school and I changed my major and, uh, became a chaplaincy focused student for an MDiv and, um, haven't looked back. So was it, 
what was it about sport then that, that drew you into that, right? So you see chaplaincy, you see that there's somebody that has some team gear on. I mean, there, it was deeper than that, right? You want to be able to share. Um, you had this background of faith to begin with. What about sport? Why, why sport chaplaincy? Yeah, I mean, in some ways I kind of fell into the sport chaplaincy, um, but I think I think God had put a burden on me. Working for the club, I realized that, you know, the athletes have these certain challenges, the coaches have challenges, even the staff. And so I felt heavily burdened for the people that I had I had been in the trenches with in many ways. And so I think there was a part of me that just wanted to serve them. Uh, and then I think there was a point of no return. I don't know when it was, but um, I actually did some pastoral care for a large church here in Colorado. And um, in leaving that church after about six years, uh, people asked me that same question, why why sports chaplaincy? And I just looked back and it, it had at that point been like 15 years of being around these people, um, this community, this environment, and there's just a, a heavy love for them, uh, a heavy concern. And um, there's been some neat moments that we've shared and uh, and some difficult, dark things we've walked through together too. So I think there's just this this passion and this burden and and soccer's always been something I wasn't really good at, but um, myself. But I just I love I love the globalness of the game, and uh, I love the different uh, communities and and peoples that the game bring here and and where the game has led me over the years. Yeah, and I think um, what I hear in your voice is that uh, as you got started, it just continued to nurture new. Uh, interest and new perspectives on what could be possible and what was needed in that community. And and I guess what I'd love to hear you start talking about is just a little bit uh, about that global nature. Uh, if people, if you're in soccer and you're at a high level, you're, you're coming from everywhere, right? You're coming from all over the world. And so I wonder if there are a handful of stories where you've met people from all over, from a variety of different backgrounds and have presented really different challenges to a chaplain? I think for sure, some of my uh, experience and my friendships that have developed over the years with my friends in the UK have been key. Um, my my best mate, my best friend is from Scotland. We met in seminary. He was juggling a ball. Um, and it was actually uh, in the beginning of this journey, I started thinking, how do I want to do this? Uh, and so I reached out to a group in the UK, Sports Chaplaincy UK now, as they're called. And John Boyers at the time was heading up that group. And uh, he's the chaplain for Manchester United. And uh, what a great mentor to have. He said, why don't you come over here for a conference? I, I think I still have the distinction of being the first American to be at their uh, chaplain conference. And it was October, I want to say it was 2005, 2007. Somewhere in there, and um, <laughs> this shows you how old I'm getting. But uh, yeah, he invited me to his home. We went to a game. I watched uh, Manchester United destroy Watford. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo danced on the sidelines with the ball. And then uh, that night and the day after, there I am with uh, the longtime Manchester United chaplain, and he's he's showing me how he did ministry, how he functioned. And I learned, I, I was just soaking it all in watching. And I watched as he would move amongst the security guards and the, the backroom staff and the, and the cleaners. And they knew him. He loved them. 
And uh, even that night at the game, one of the security guards had had gotten in a a traffic accident and uh, had died. And so I just, a sweet moment to watch him pastorally move amongst the club and love on some people that were hurting. And um, that lit a fire in me. So John Boyer, you know, with a long-time career at Manchester United as the chaplain, he spoke, uh, gave a keynote lecture at the inaugural Global Congress of Sport and Christianity back in 2016. One of the things he said is that a sports chaplain, specifically of a, of a major professional sports team, acts in some ways as a problem solver. So a player gets in a traffic accident, you know, you, you call it the chaplain. Um, a player has a domestic issue, you call a chaplain. Uh, a player needs to move residences, problem uh, theft, something like that. You call the chaplain, right? That's a person that comes to help and, and helps to solve problems. That wasn't the, the main thrust of what he talked about, but certainly that, that seemed to be, at least in his experiences, a, a major part of what he did day to day and season to season. So you met him earlier in your career. So over the last 15 or so years, has that been your experience? Would you speak to your experiences in the same way that he does as in some ways you're a problem solver? I think in some ways, problem solving is the the most common of grounds that we can have with a entity such as a professional sports organization, whether that's football, soccer, or something else. Um, There's a danger to that though, because if the chaplain only is the problem solver and not um, a religious advocate, to put it one way, or a faith, a Christian uh, representative, to put it another way, you can run into some problems. But certainly, I think some of the moments that have created opening doors have been the problem solving. I'll give you a quick story. Um, Muslim player on the team wants to observe the fast of Ramadan, doesn't want to tell the coach, doesn't want to tell the staff because he doesn't want to lose his spot, his his position. Um, I go, I ask him permission. Once I find out this desire, I say, can I just speak to them on your behalf? Can I represent you? Can I share with you so that we can work something out? He gives permission. And then it was just a bringing together of really the three different parties to say, uh, here's a desire and here's, you know, the team needs where, where can we come together on this? And so the player compromised by getting uh, allowances from his imam, the, the training staff work to work on his diet and different things. And, and the coaches understood the different needs and were sensitive to training times, you know, playing training in the high desert uh, plains of Colorado uh, in August during Ramadan with no water presents some challenges. And so those things open the door for a mutual level of trust with all three of those different um representations of the organization from the playing side to the coaching and the training side. And, and that problem solving, so to speak, I think, uh, built in credibility for me serving as a chaplain. And you talk about this common ground, this opportunity to have a conversation, to listen to someone, to maybe meet them in a space where they have some need. And I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of Christians, um, if they're faced with a moment that you were faced with, your big moment where someone asked you, you know, big life questions and you were really kind of geeked by it, you, you were turned on by the, the, the idea that someone asked you these questions. A lot of, a lot of Christians are the opposite, um, live in sort of fear of answering those questions and uh, are, are quite concerned with sort of the reluctance to speak openly about their faith. 
Uh, how have you um, how have you used those natural inclinations, uh, and how do you understand people who are maybe a little bit different than you um, when you're thinking about your work as a chaplain? Well, to be honest, Brian, I I was reluctant to share with that that player walking out on the field. In fact, I he said are you living together with your fiance? That was his question. And I said, <laughs> uh, no, why? You know? And he goes, aren't you afraid? And I said, afraid of what, you know? And <laughs> I said, is there something, you know, that I don't know? He's like, no, I don't, I don't know your fiance. And, <laughs> um, so, so there was a reluctance in me, but mm. I, I think the thing that God has impressed on me through some of my seminary education and through experience and just time is, is listening listening to the story, listening to the person. And sometimes listening means you just watch body language. It's not an, an, an audible kind of thing. And as you listen and you understand something, um, just waiting for God to nudge you uh, into how to speak into that and, and when and if to speak into that. And there's been times when I thought, ooh, I should have held my words. I should not have spoken. I should have been quiet, more quiet, should have waited. And then there's moments when the urge, the need to speak up was was just there. Um, and it was undeniable. Sometimes for me, it's this little uh, beating in my chest, this heart thing that I go, oh, I, I have to stand and, and say something in this moment. And um, I fumble with words. I, f- I feel like Moses sometimes. <laughs> I'm no good at speaking like this, but... Um, the Lord kind of opens some of those doors and opportunities and uh, learning to recognize and wait for those things is, is part of the, the journey of, of being and working as a chaplain. Well, your journey, Brad, has coincided in some ways, maybe a couple of years behind, you know, the advent and, and growth of, of MLS soccer as a league, right? And so you've seen uh, a vast amount of growth in the league as you started you know, working with the the, the Colorado Rapids at, at an early time in, in MLS's existence. I wonder what you've noticed through the growth in the league that might be unique to, to soccer in the United States. I mean, Brian and I come to this as, um, well, myself, I've having played soccer a little bit, but following football as, as a red-blooded American does, you know, and, and Brian too, less familiar with soccer. The MLS is not the premier league in, in, in the globe, uh, like the NFL is for, for football, American football is what it's called because it is the only league. The NBA, you know, these are the number one leagues in the world and they're in the U.S. The MLS doesn't have that standing. Have you noticed that there are uh, unique champ- chaplaincy opportunities in the midst of that? Yeah, opportunities and challenges. I'd, I'd say one is, um, you know, I, I've had some conversations with with folks at the club who didn't know what chaplaincy was, hadn't experienced it. So that's sometimes an advantage that uh, sports ministry people and and sports chaplains working in the NFL and NBA have, is that I think AIA and FCA, those groups have done a really good job of uh, creating um, presence and, and having impact during college years, high school years, maybe even so that by the time someone reaches the pros, they're familiar with some of these things. Uh, chaplaincy is a little different that way in that people in, in soccer, I mean, people coming from South America and, and Europe, they're not familiar or accustomed necessarily with the presence of a chaplain. Uh, I think our, our friends over in the UK have done a really good job of building and and there have been quite a few influences. 
so that there's familiarity with uh, a lot of the English Scottish players. But, um, you know, for the rest of Europe, it, it's chaplaincy still, a, there's a huge opportunity there. And, and so in that, uh, sometimes we have to educate on what chaplaincy is, what it isn't, um, what we're there for. Are we just problem solvers? Are we religious people with an agenda? Uh, we, you know, we have to educate against all those things and, and kind of teach people. Sometimes that's a big challenge and it's a big hurdle because people have bad or poor experiences religiously, faith-wise, and, and that, can, that can be hard for a, a chaplain. Um, because we are we are God's representative, and and so those are those are some of the challenges and opportunities that I see. Um, but what a neat thing when someone experiences a good chaplain and then moves away to another team, uh, moves away to another country, and who knows, maybe opens another door in the future or continues to be ministered to by those good relationships that were built in a particular season, particular time. So you. You talk about the uniqueness of that role and how some people have a context for it and others may not. Uh, and it can sometimes work to your advantage and other times you may end up having to build some bridges back. I wonder in your time, have you been able to maybe isolate some mistakes that chaplains seem to get lured into? Um, certain things that, you know, if you could tell your former self, you know, Maybe you shouldn't have done it this way. And then maybe some, some uh, you know, just some tips for people that are trying to get these sorts of uh, programs off the ground or uh, opportunities off the ground uh, with the teams that they're working with. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the ones I tell myself most often nowadays looking back is um, in my early days, the coach of the club wanted to have the entire team gather in a, in a circle and pray. And this was, you know, pro-level soccer in the U.S. Not everyone in that circle uh, is Christian. Not everyone, even if they're Christian, believes in having that pre, pre, pre-game, pre-huddle prayer. Um, and so, you know, that was the coach's desire. It was his influence. And I was, I was young. Uh, I didn't know to advocate for myself and others in that way. Uh, I, I wouldn't do those things again, even if I had the opportunity, I'd educate the coach and say, you know, if you really want to grab the hearts of your, your players, the, the, the men, the people, the women that are, they're playing underneath you, then be sensitive to this area. And, you know, it's good that you have belief and faith, but be careful where and how you may impose that on someone else. Um, there's, there's opportunities still to express faith and to lead well. And sometimes we have these external expressions, um, that we may have, you know, the, the player that lifts up his shirt and says, I love Jesus. But, you know, 10 minutes later, he's, uh, he's given a a critical tackle on someone and gets a red card, nearly, nearly kills the person, you know, that those things are, are tensions that all come in competitive sport, competitive environment. And, um, as a chaplain, you know, understanding those things and helping one of my favorite questions an athlete asked me one time was, Hey Rev, is it a lie if I raise my hand, uh, to say the ball is ours when I know it went off of me? And, you know, there's there's these things within competitive environment and, and sport that we've just kind of accepted as this is okay. 
this deception in the game. And so to have a player think uh, practically how his faith influences those things. But then on the flip side, I've seen uh, other teams and organizations that say, you've got to go get the ball. If you can't kick it away, you need to go get the ball for the other team and bring it to them. And and so then competitive advantage is taken away. And so there's this uh, ever moving, shifting line of, of discernment, I think. And as chaplains, um, it's understanding faith, our faith really well and helping interpret that and apply it into the game moments, the life moments. And, uh, and so, yeah, there's a few things I still make mistakes today and, uh, I'm a constant, uh, I'm a, I'm a one on the Enneagram if anybody knows that and, uh, with a two wing. And so I'm constantly reviewing myself and, uh, very critical of myself. And, and I think we have to give ourselves grace too. What a rich set of experiences. You know, you talked about a chaplain as being a religious advocate, but then this, you know, your recent story about the player raising his hand and saying, is it a lie if I raise my hand as if the ball's ours when I know it's not ours? Um, so a chaplain acting also then as a, a morality coach, hmm. right? I'm sort of interested in uh, specifically your response to that to that athlete, but maybe other times when when you've had to step in uh, and act on behalf of sort of the morality that comes along with your faith or that you've grown up with that that may be a bit more subjective or a bit less sort of uh, within the train that you've had, the religious training specifically, right? I mean, how do you, how do you respond to something like that? If they're a person of, of faith, you know, it's sometimes assessing the, the level of their faith and, and helping them. Um, but I think one of my favorite tools or things to do with people is say, hey, let's not concern yourself with what I think. Let's see what God thinks. Let's let's read together uh, scripture, and and then part of my work sometimes may be to put together something, a place, a way to learn. The other thing that I enjoy doing is telling the story. Um, I remember I was sitting in around a table with a, a number of coaches, and one of the questions was, "Hey, Rev, do you do you think it's really supposed to be this way that uh, that we're supposed to be married to one person for the rest of our lives?" Well. Um, this particular person had had just had a um, uh, a child born to he and his his partner, and um, he was asking this this question. And so, uh, I th- I thought really quick, what story could I tell that would capture all of this and kind of take where he's at? And so I told the story of David and Bathsheba, but I told it very paraphrased version, and uh, I told of how things went poorly, and and I reached a point where I, I was going to share about the the child and what happens to David's first child with Bathsheba. But then I stopped I said, I don't, I don't want to share the rest of the story with you because um, it's hard. And I knew he was superstitious. So I, I stopped and uh, he goes, no, don't stop. I want, I want to hear the end of this story. And so I knew, I knew there had been a hook and I, I didn't want to manipulate that or use that wrongly. Um, and I told him, I said, this is, these are not easy stories to tell. He goes, no, I want to know. So I, I, I say, I said, what happened to the child? And of course, you know, he's emotional about it, and oh, I can't believe this. And, um, and one of the other coaches sitting there goes, hey, if the rev tells you, he doesn't want to tell you the rest of the story. He doesn't want to tell you the rest of the story. But the beauty out of that was, um, I went on to finish the story, and we know that in finishing the story, that David uh, is redeemed. He he acts like a king again. And God blesses it. And I said, 
do you know who David's second child was? And, and I, I don't know if I use David's name, but um, I said his second child with this woman, when things were done correctly, done right, was the wisest man to ever live. And, uh, and all of a sudden there was this light that went on, I think, for the coaches gathered around the table. As, you know, it, in, a, in a way I had told these, these people not familiar with church or faith very much, maybe we might say they were far from God, but I had shared a story of how, um, how sometimes our actions have consequences and how God blesses us when we seek to, to do right, to, to follow him. And so, yeah, that, that gets, there's a little bit of a morality piece there that isn't quite evangelism and sharing the gospel, but that creates a door and an opportunity to share more. And the relationship was furthered um, and has continues to this day. And so those, those two things, those tools, you know, the, the sharing of that kind of a story and the, and the letting someone kind of discover or understand uh, where to find uh, the answers. Um, those, those are two important tools, I think. Yeah, an, an inspiring story, kind of revealing the the power of Scripture, and sometimes uh, even Christians will underplay that power, um, underplay the power of Scripture and and the Holy Spirit uh, in filling those spaces that were certainly inadequate to fill. I wonder if I shift gears on that a little bit. I wonder if I could turn that around. Um, what um, sport tends to attract uh, converts unsuspectingly as well. Uh, and you kind of self-profess as, you know, I'm an amateur athlete, not really all that interested in sports ministry until I got into it. Um, tell me about a soccer moment um, or uh, maybe a moment where all of a sudden you found yourself uh, given fist pumps where uh, it, you know, you, you didn't expect it. Hmm. That's a good question. I, th- I think for me, uh, one of the highlights, sport highlights, um, was 2010 and, uh, going with the Rapids to the, to the championship game in Toronto. And, uh, in those moments, um, you know, there, we're there for, um, quite a few days before the game. Um, but there's just, there's something neat for, for, to winning, you know, the biggest achievement that you can in, in the league and to be part of something. And, um, I, I think that's one of the moments that uh, that stands out. Um, I, I think it's been hard, though, if I'm honest, guys, that sometimes after being in sport for so long and you see tough stories, it's it's hard to be the same kind of sports fan. Like even today, when when you hear of a an athlete uh, struggling or falling, you just know there's so many backstories that probably have led to this, and. Um, and that's a, that's a hard space. Sometimes I don't feel as much a fan anymore about things. I used to be big in NBA and NFL, and it, it's really difficult to get through a game now. Premier League, yeah, I can I can get through a game like that in MLS, of course. But um, but yeah, I I think um, yeah, it, the Rapids winning the the championship um, game. It was a cold night in Toronto, but uh, it, it was it was. Probably, and I say 2010 is one of my best years. Uh, we had twin daughters born that year. Mm-hmm. My wife is a saint. She allowed me to go uh, on this trip with with four month old twin girls, and um, and it was just a, a, a great experience. Loved loved so much of it. 
Well, it seems like a lot has changed since then um, in terms of the league, but it's, you know, you've, you've also created Soccer Chaplains United and um, that's been uh, allowed you to be a leader, not just, you know, within that one organization, but among chaplains all throughout professional soccer in the U.S. I wonder if you can share a little bit about the story of that coming to be and, and what the goals and visions are for that organization. Yeah, actually. Um, so when I began, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, I wanted to do things right. So I, you know, got in with uh, John Boyers and, and Sports Chaplaincy UK and was learning from them. And I created this entity called Cross Training. And uh, it was it was actually 2016. I was I was sitting um, in York on the castle wall having a coffee with the QPR chaplain um, Bob Mayo and. Uh, he looked at me and and we've known each other for a few years now, probably eight, nine years. And he goes, cross training. Is that like a Christian CrossFit group? And I, I rolled my eyes. This, this is now the hundredth time I've heard this from somebody. And I just, I went back to the, to the room uh, where we were staying. And I just said, God, help me get rid of this name. And uh, I knew, I knew it had to do with soccer and chaplains. And uh, I didn't want to be cliche on the bus kind of guy, but uh, United won out amongst our, uh, our folks. And um, so we became soccer chaplains United in 2017. We changed our name. And, um, and then I, I left the church where I was serving in pastoral care and God just started growing us. We had three chaplains in 2017, early 2017 under cross training. And uh, today we have 17. Uh, We have chaplains in high school, college, uh, the women's game, a women's league here in the U S and, and the professional leagues, MLS and, and USL United soccer league, which is the second, um, third and fourth divisions. And um, we just have this amazing burden to grow chaplaincy wherever God lets us. So if it's a youth club, great. Uh, for the referees, the officials, they need a chaplain. <laughs> They're the team that nobody likes, uh, <laughs> what, however the result goes, unless it's a draw, but even still. Um, you know, they, they get abused and, um, what is, and they're on the road away from their families. And, uh, that can be really challenging. So there's just this burden and, and heart. And sometimes I just, I tell the Lord, I say, this, this is too big. Like even soccer in America, there's hundreds of pro teams that don't have a chaplain yet. And so I, I don't know when or if my work will ever be finished, but, um, yeah, our, our hope, our aim is to grow chaplaincy, whether it's in a college setting, high school, youth club, uh, whatever door or opportunity. And so, uh, we're collecting like-minded people. We're growing together, learning together and, and working to serve people well. Yeah. It's a, it's a really ground floor operation, really. Uh, when you think about the growth of soccer in the United States and just w- the potential that's there, it's, it's exciting to be kind of on the front end of that. And I, I wonder too, as you grow, um, I know you're uh, largely about advocacy and, and getting, you know, sort of access and, and boots on the ground, so to speak. Uh, but what about the developmental process? I mean, you're a mature chaplain. You've, you've seen things, uh, n- not old, mature chaplain. It's <laughs> a good way of saying it. You uh, exactly. see the gray in my beard. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> ours too. So, uh, I, I guess I'm wondering, uh, is there going to be a wing of this where, um, you spend a little more time thinking about intentionally about that kind of development and maybe even something really unique to soccer in that space? 
Yeah, I think out of the 2016 Congress, um, I wrote my first article, which oh, it took so much energy to write an article for practical theology. But, um, you know, the side of learning, growing, developing, um, that's really a hope of mine. In fact, um, my wife is has had more vision of this for me than, than myself, but she goes, I know what you're going to do. You're going to teach when you're and you kind of hang up the the direct involvement, and I th- I think that day is actually coming sooner rather than later as I as I age or mature gracefully, as you say, Brian. Um, you know, younger and younger uh, teams are signing 16, 17 year olds. Uh, these are my my daughter's ages nowadays, and so um, I think there is a lifespan that a chaplain has to acknowledge in a time when not that you you are put out to pasture, but a time when you realize uh, my role is not to be. A, a direct caregiver, but to help influence other caregivers. So I'm excited by what Baylor and Truett Seminary have developed. I'm excited by uh, schools like each of your own, Calvin and Grace, just like the openness to sport and and to see this growing edge towards uh, sport ministry, sport chaplaincy more specifically, I think, and I hope um, is something that uh, has a, a place for me in the future to teach uh, out of a practitioner kind of experiential way and maybe try and learn a little bit more the the academic side of things. But, um, you know, being an alum from Denver Seminary, my my hope is always I go back and speak to the students there about sort of this expression of chaplaincy and try and encourage any that have a, a similar kind of heart, maybe not necessarily towards sport, but to a different expression to just kind of follow and pursue those kinds of things. So I'm excited by how things are, are going and growing. I think, you know, 2020 was difficult for all of us with sport. Um, sport took a hit and we realized that um, it's a luxury. It's, uh, but uh, in some ways that it's a luxury, it's also a necessity. There's, there's parts to sport that I think are helpful for the human condition and I think we we realize sometimes what we're missing when uh, when things shut shut people down. And and for me too, I see it in a different way because I see the staff, I see the people whose livelihoods depend on sport, and I have a burden for them too. So, yeah, I'm I'm really hopeful for the future. Our own development. Um, we do some some training that I try to make really soccer specific. But I was telling someone the other day, I'm still trying to learn and understand soccer culture. Um, and it's a, it seems like it's a shifting, moving target all the time. But, um, you know, I think you, you layer in the different things like generational differences and uh, social media and, and some of the things that didn't exist, you know, 10, 15 years ago that have major influences on sporting people. Um, and there's there's a lot to learn and, and grow and develop. And so, yeah, I I hope that more training can be created and done, done well. And uh, I'm looking forward to be being part of that in whatever way God lets me. So what role does, uh, does your, your podcast play in all of this, Brad? Uh, the development of community, the, the development in terms of training, um, growing the base of soccer chaplains throughout the U.S.? What, what, what role does the podcast play? Yeah, you know, I I really enjoy my the the podcast I do. It's called From the Touchline. You can find it on Apple uh, Podcasts and Google and anywhere else on our website as well. Um, and at the beginning, I thought, you know, the chaplain, the the title From the Touchline, chaplains are always on the sides. We're never on the pitch, right? So uh, almost like a coach, but even the chaplain has to distinguish and differentiate from the coach. The coach makes playing time decisions. A, a collegiate coach may make scholarship decisions. A chaplain doesn't. 
So the chaplain is a, a cheerleader in some ways, um, a problem solver in other ways. Uh, sometimes a chaplain has to be the person that, that says and speaks truth as well. And that can be a hard word sometimes for an athlete. I've got a few of those stories too. But the podcast has really become uh, a little bit of that. How can I encourage and then how can I relate story content, especially for those in football or those in soccer? Um, so I might take a story recently. Um, my, my best mate in Scotland did a, um, a series on David and Bathsheba, did a narrative. And so uh, I broke it into four different segments. And then I would come on and, and kind of bring a soccer angle to it where I would share, like, what does leadership look like in your locker room, in your organization, in your club? I really try to address player, coach, and staff. I, I try and address those three uh, different uh, persons in an organization. And um, yeah, so I've just really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I think too, it's, you know, there's some personal license there. I'm, I'm big into uh, some of the Celtic saints. And uh, so I, I kind of share when those things come along, I, I, sh- I tell their story, but then I relate it into soccer uh, as best as I can. Well, it's been uh, fascinating for us to hear your story here on Support Faith Life, and uh, we're happy to continue to help you get the word out about uh, Soccer Chaplains United. We definitely encourage everyone to uh, to visit that website to find the podcast. Um, we're not going to here on Support Faith Life say much about uh, Celtic Saints, so uh, you've got that niche right uh, now. There, so there that, you go. That's all you. <laughs> Uh, And we just really appreciate you telling uh, your story with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This has been fun. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.